0: A reading from the prophet Habakkuk, the first chapter. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep it sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their god. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? We shall not die. O Lord you have ordained them as judgment. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net, and mercilessly killing nations forever? O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks Thanks be to God. Maybe you've heard, or have even given the advice to somebody... Don't ask a question if you're not prepared for the answer. Or don't ask a question if you don't want to hear the answer. There's all kinds of reasons why that advice is sound. Because maybe the answer is something that would be painful. Maybe it's the truth that you don't want to hear, the truth which we cannot handle. Maybe that's the reason why you shouldn't ask a question if you're not prepared to hear what someone's going to say. Or in the case of prayers... Maybe we should be concerned, maybe we should pay attention to the kinds of answers that God gives. Don't ask for something if you're not prepared for God to answer it in his own way, according to his own time, according to his good and gracious will, according to his divine providence, which sees far better than you can see, which understands far better than you and I can understand. It's good advice, generally, but we shouldn't hesitate from asking questions of God We shouldn't hesitate to pray. But it is helpful to think about the range of possible answers, to think about the ways that God could answer us that would be surprising, because it will prepare us, and it will keep us from having false expectations. I think that false expectations are one of the reasons people often struggle deeply, because they think things are going to work out one way, and when they work out quite differently, they are frustrated and disappointed And they despair. It helps to read the scriptures. It helps to see how God acts from beginning to end of his word, how he shows us what his character is, how he shows us that really we shouldn't be surprised by anything. We shouldn't be surprised by anything he does, especially knowing this fact, that everything he does is for our good. That everything he does is because he loves you but you and i do not know we are yet learning what love looks like we are yet learning what it takes for god to save us for him to deliver the salvation that brings us to eternity we are yet learning what that cross means in our lives that's why we're going to spend some time studying habakkuk in these next three weeks of advent Habakkuk is One of the minor prophets. Not because he's less important than other prophets, but because his book is so short. It's just three chapters long, which fits perfectly into the season of Advent. Three chapters. And you heard how the chapter that we read today, the first chapter, you heard how it began, and those headings are kind of helpful. It begins with Habakkuk's complaint. He asks this question, which really is the question of all faithful people throughout all time. How long, O Lord? How long? It's worth thinking about whether or not we are inclined to ask that question. Our world is quite satisfied with the way things are. Our world is quite satisfied with the things of this life, with temporal and fleeting things. But you and I, dear Christians, we have a hope that is eternal, that is outside of this world. We have a home that is not here. And so really, our prayer should be, day in and day out, How long, O Lord, until your kingdom comes? How long, O Lord, until you deliver us from suffering and from wickedness and from evil? How long until you free us from our sinful flesh? How long, O Lord? If you are not troubled by the world, although I think you are, and if you are not troubled by your flesh, which I think you are, again, because you confess your sins every time you are here, if you are not troubled by those things, then you will not ever ask the question, How long? But if you see the world for what it is and you see yourself for what you are, then this can be the only question that we pose to God. How long? How long until you save us? Habakkuk really complains. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How long shall I cry violence and you will not save? Habakkuk was concerned about the state of his people about the state of God's people. They were faithless. They had wandered away. They were following other gods. They had denied their Heavenly Father. And they were suffering as a result, within and without. They were suffering by worshiping false gods, by putting their hope in things that do not last. But they were suffering from without as well because God had sent a foreign army, the Assyrians, to harass them and oppress them and subdue them. How long, O Lord, will we suffer under the faithlessness of our people? How long, O Lord, will we suffer under the hand of this foreign army? How long? I don't know what kind of an answer Habakkuk was expecting, but it almost certainly was not the answer that was given. God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint is beyond imagination. In fact, God says, I'm going to do a work in your days that you would not believe if told. My answer, God says, to your complaint, my answer to your pleas, my answer to your prayers is something that you would never imagine. You would never do it. You would never think it was good. You, in fact, would think it was evil. God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Chaldea is a small part of the empire of Babylon at this time. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, he says, that bitter and nasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God says, I'm raising up this nation, the Babylonians, to come and conquer your land. That's my answer to your plea. That's my answer. I'm raising up a greater nation, a more vicious nation, a nation that has no concern for right and wrong, a nation that worships its own might, those guilty men whose own might is their God. I'm raising up them. That's my salvation, God says. I'm sending them to you. That's my hope for you. That's me hearing your prayer. Surprising, isn't it? How can God work salvation by sending a foreign army to invade his people? How can he work salvation by sending them enemies to oppress them? This is, of course, Habakkuk's next reply. He says, Okay, I understand you're going to save us, but this certainly can't be the way. You've seen these people. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, verse 13, and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Yes, we're bad. We, Israel, faithless Israel, we're bad. But they are far worse than us. How can they discipline us? How can they be bringing salvation to us? The hiddenness of the answer to that question is the mystery of the cross. It's the mystery of the fact that God's salvation is wrought through suffering, that his love for his dear children involves suffering. That is very hard for us to imagine. In fact, the question just came up today in confirmation. It comes up pretty regularly. Why doesn't God just do something to the devil just like that? Why doesn't he take care of the problem just like that? Why doesn't he just rid the world of evil and deal with sin once and for all just like that? Why this whole rigmarole? Why do we have to wait? Why did Jesus have to come and be born? Why couldn't he deal with the problem in the garden? The answer is actually pretty simple. It's because you and I, along with all of sinful humanity, are in league with the devil when we come into this world. If God were to destroy the devil just like that, we would go with him. But he does not want to destroy us. Yes, he wants to destroy wickedness and sin and evil, but he does not want to destroy you and me. He wants to save us. And that means that something else is required, something other than a word of divine fiat, something other than snapping his figures. It means something else is required, namely, suffering and death, the loss of a life, a sacrifice, blood poured out on behalf of his people. We see a glimpse of that here, in what is happening to the people of Israel, when God raises up the Chaldeans and sends them to persecute his people, we are seeing a glimpse of the cross and suffering that Christ himself will endure. We are seeing how God treats his children. We are seeing how he treats them with love as a father disciplines his children, not letting them live in their sin, not letting them get away with their wickedness, but disciplining them so that they turn and will live. It's surprising. It's unbelievable. How can this be? How can this foreign nation, how can these enemies of God bring salvation? We're going to hear more about the answer to that question in the the coming weeks. But I just want this today to set the stage so that you understand, so that you can appreciate what kind of answers you might get when you ask God for whatever it is that concerns you, for whatever it is that troubles you, what kind of answers might you get? When we bring our complaints to God, when we plead with him to deliver us from whatever it is that is troubling us, it might just be that he sends us something more troubling. It might just be that he sends us something that we cannot comprehend, something out of which we cannot see our way, something that we cannot imagine. It might just be that that is how he disciplines us. Be careful what you ask for, but do Ask. Do ask, and ask with confidence. Ask him how long. Ask him for everything that you need, all the needs of your body and life, and especially those spiritual needs. Ask him for faith. Ask him for strength. Ask him for courage. Ask him for hope. Ask him for all of those things, and know that the answer may be surprising, and it may be painful, and it may involve a struggle beyond what you can imagine. But here's your hope. Here's your confidence. That God sees a picture. He sees a picture far bigger than what you and I could see. Just as we would think it makes sense with a snap of a finger to eradicate sin from this world, he knows better. He knows that the cost would be too great. He would lose you. He knows that to answer your prayers the way that you want him to may mean something far worse than what he intends to give you. And so he gives you what you need. Beware when you pray. Set your expectations appropriately, so that you're not surprised. But put your hope in this. Be confident in this, that your God sees far better than you can, and he gives you good things that are far better than you could imagine. He knows what is good. He knows what you need. He knows the things that make for salvation, the things that make for peace, the things that we are yet learning in this life. And that, that is what he wants to give to you. It's like the people of Israel as they were slaves in Egypt. They were bitterly oppressed by Pharaoh, working slavishly under the hands of cruel taskmasters, and Pharaoh was murdering their children, trying to keep them under his thumb. And God said to them, I'm going to send you somebody to rescue you. He sent Moses, saying of Moses to the people of Israel, I have heard your prayers. I have heard your cries for help. I have heard that you want to be delivered. I have remembered my promises to you. God remembers all of that, and he sends Moses to the people of Israel. And as Moses goes to Pharaoh and demands that Pharaoh let God's people go, things get worse and not better. The hands of those taskmasters grow heavier. The burdens grow heavier. The people suffer worse because God has sent salvation to them. And then things go beyond what anybody could imagine. Not just one or two or three plagues, but ten plagues plagues on the whole land? Why did it take him so long? Why couldn't he just give them what they wanted when they wanted it? Why couldn't he just walk them out by the hand from Egypt? Why couldn't he just, with the snap of a finger, eradicate Pharaoh and all of Egypt? It's because he knows better. It's because he's after something greater. It's because he's after the salvation of the whole world. It's because he means for his people to be a light to the nation. It's it because there are yet people who need to hear and believe? It is because There is a bigger plan in store for this world. A plan of life and not death. A plan of light and not darkness. A plan beyond what you and I could imagine. That is your hope. That is your confidence. Ask and pray. Bring your complaints before God. Make your pleas. Do it with diligence. Be like Habakkuk. How long, O Lord? How long will this take? Make it happen. Your kingdom come. And then wait. And watch and see and listen to the rest of Habakkuk because you will see that although God works in surprising ways and in ways that we find uncomfortable, His salvation is far beyond what we could ever have hoped for. It is the salvation that we have by the blood of Jesus on the cross. A remedy for sin that you and I could never have predicted. A remedy that goes beyond the simple fixes that we come up with in this life. A remedy that brings us to eternity wait for his salvation, and hope in him. To him be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.